Did you miss the DSO Connect virtual retreat this summer? Don't worry, we are offering a replay of all of our seminars from this year's virtual retreat. Go to our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on Retreat Replay. You're gonna find so much actionable information, including Studio Reset, Marketing and Social Media, Developing Your Inner Leader, Building Your Community, Making Your Virtual Platform a Permanent Reality, online platforms with Kajabi and Trello, plus we have amazing dance teacher training content you can share with your team, including honing your teacher's eye for ballet, contemporary and improv for the young dancer, jazz fundamentals, building your tap curriculum, building a solid structure for hip hop, and teaching ideas to make Zoom successful at your studio. So go to our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on Retreat Replay to grab yours for just $197. Hello and welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Robin. And we're going to jump right into our guest today. We are super excited. Mr. Richard Smith is the proud new owner and executive director of 360 Dance Festival. Richard's approach to teaching and directing dance is focused on alignment, strength, coordination, manipulation of the body, and the origination of movement. He believes that the only way to grow as a dancer is to understand the fundamentals of movement and to constantly work on mastering technique. Only by working on fundamentals and technique can the dancer begin to tap into the personal connection of the movement and the music. Only after making that connection can the dancer generate a performance from a vulnerable place of truth, making the dancer's connection to the audience real and pure. It is this philosophy of finding truth through personal connection that keeps Richard passionate about teaching and helping dancers, dance teachers, and choreographers reach their highest artistic potential. Richard has expertise in classical, lyrical, and contemporary jazz, classical ballet, and modern dance to dancers of all ages. He shares a special connection with preteen and youth dancers. He believes he learns the most about his teaching methods in the preteen and youth age group because they are very receptive to learning new concepts and they enjoy being exposed to new ideas. So true. <laughs> Richard attended East Carolina University in North Carolina where he earned a BFA in dance performance with a concentration in jazz dance and dance education. After college, he moved to Chicago to train with Gus Giordano Jazz Dance Chicago. Richard was fortunate to have the opportunity to work and travel with the late Gus Giordano and named Richard a master jazz dance teacher. And he is currently a summer faculty member at the Gus Giordano Dance School. Richard was a judge for the Miss America North Carolina. That's so cool. <laughs> he is also a regional and national adjudicator and teacher for applause talent presentations Kids Artistic Review, Dance Masters of Michigan, Dance Masters of Wisconsin, Bravo Dance Competition, and Rainbow Connection, in addition to teaching and choreographing for workshops, studios, and companies throughout the U.S. As a certified comprehensive Pilates instructor and a certified personal trainer, he can enhance the artistry of any dancer. Richard is excited to be the leader in the movement to promote the health and wellness of the whole dancer at the 360 Dance Festival. So welcome, Mr. Richard. 
Well, thank you. See, if you read it every time, then it sounds great. What <laughs> I read it is like this whole thing again. So I stumbled if- over a few things there, but I'm getting better with my podcast and voice. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so that much. Is, that is quite a bio. It's something, you know. I they- love how I love how you're like, oh yes, prolific dance teacher and accomplished all these things, not to mention certified Pilates and personal trainer. Oh, just as an aside, I also do these amazing things. <laughs> it's one of those things that if, um, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, uh, dancers that move to New York and then they have to either wait tables or they do six or seven different jobs before they, that help support them to train in their art. But if I would have known that personal training would have paid me more per hour, I would have just trained and then danced and then the two would have worked together instead of waiting tables the whole time, hoping to make money and still working for less than your value. So um, the personal training has really come in handy, not just financially, but also the way that I learned about the body is so much more refined. Like I know, like it's science, it's science. It's hard to argue with science. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So how long have you been doing the personal training? Um, I started personal training in 2008 and I still personal train. I got my Pilates certification in 2000 or in 2018. And um, if dancers, if I would have taken Pilates while I was training as a dancer, I would have been unstoppable, unstoppable. The way that it teaches you to use your center of gravity in a way that we just take for granted. Sometimes when we're teaching, we just understand that pulling up and and using your center of gravity is understood. And we have right now just some generation gaps in how things are being taught and how things are learning. So we have to kind of get back to what it feels like to use your center of gravity to move through space. And I think that the dancers that do that most successfully are the ones that are most in touch with how to manipulate their center of gravity. So when they're moving through space and that, that grounded, you can see the difference. You can tell the difference between a grounded dancer and someone that's doing steps on top of the floor. So mm-hmm. yeah, Pilates would have, it would have made me unstoppable. Just that amount of control and like that on, like it's so consistent because you can work on consistently being in control of your center of gravity versus hoping you have a good turn day. <laughs> so, let me ask you, Richard, um, if you were designing a dance program for children, what age would you recommend that kids start with Pilates? Um, that's a good question because it's going to depend on the maturity of the dancer, not so much the, the um, level. If the dancers are, are, can follow in, like they can follow instructions, um, like internal instructions. Like if, if you can give them the correction to press their belly button in and close their rib cage and they can make that happen. They can see the visual connection. They can feel it. They are good candidates for Pilates. If they don't have that understanding or that kind of control over the body, it's probably going to be them just moving through the motions versus them actually using their center of gravity. So um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we require all of our students to take ballet. Well, why do we make them take ballet? Well, ballet is the foundation. Well, what is it about the foundation that we really want? Well, we want the discipline. We want the placement. We want the understanding of how you move through space. We want you to understand how to change direction, how to control your body. Those are all the real fundamentals that we want to pull out of ballet. But if we can take those fundamentals and put it in a movement class for dancers without putting them in the tights and putting them in the leotard and allow them to 
play with those fundamentals outside of the ballet restrictions, then we're still accomplishing those fundamentals in a different way so that when we introduce ballet or we introduce uh, modern or we introduce contemporary to them, they can take it on. So the maturity of the dancer would be the most important part versus the level. Um, you know, there's going to be some nine-year-olds that get it that understand, okay, well, this is what he said and this is how we hold ourselves. Those are perfect candidates to start introducing the Pilates because most of the Pilates mat work that we would be doing in the studio, you can only do it by manipulating your center of gravity versus trying to do something overhead and or, or laying on your back where you take your feet over your head. We can have students that will just swing their body and try to get their legs over the head because they see the end product versus the, the process of how to get there. So if the dancers are mature enough to understand the concept, absolutely introduce it as early as possible because that's going to give them it, it, it's like a reinforcement for all the things that we do in our technique class. It's such reinforcement, but it can be fun because it doesn't have all the restrictions that come along with ballet or that come along with teaching jazz technique or modern technique. It gives them the opportunity to explore the fundamentals without the strict parameters that we, that techno, most genres of dance offer, so. Hmm. Fascinating. Great question, great question. That makes a lot of sense. I love that idea. Um, so take us back to little Richard and <laughs> where did you grow up? How did you start dancing? And then like, take us through a, a brief version of your dance journey. Okay. So I grew up in Statesville, North Carolina. It is the only place in the state where uh, Interstate 40 and Interstate 77 cross. And if you look to your right, if you look to your left, you're going to see many cornfields. And if you blink, you're going to miss the rest of the city. So don't blink when you get to Statesville. Um, I've been gone from Statesville. Uh, oh, I went to school in uh, 95. So it's been almost 26, 25 years that I've been away from home and the city has changed none. Like it has not changed at all. Um, and the, the, one of the, the things that I learned in being in leadership in high school and being in leadership positions in you know, student government, um, the teachers always told me to leave. They were encouraging me to get out, to go somewhere else, not because the city was bad, but you know, now being a teacher, I see what they saw in me. And they were like, you need to go somewhere where that can be fostered, where that can be nurtured, or where that has an opportunity to grow and develop. And... I, I was gullible. I didn't know any difference. So when I graduated, I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave. So it was probably one of the hardest decisions that I had ever made because, um, you know, everyone's family is dysfunctional, to, but to what degree of dysfunction they are, you know, varies from, from family to family. And I was the hero in my dysfunctional family. So when I went away to college, the hero was gone. And now I'm taking off on this journey to find myself and, left my family at home. So it was this, uh, this internal struggle of, um, okay, do I take off on and explore this unknown or do I stay at home where I'm comfortable? And, um, you know, that's a lot for an 18 year old to try to figure out. That's a lot for an 18 year old to try to figure out. But before I got to 18, so let me go back just a little bit further because the dance story is kind of cute. It, it really is cute. Um, in North Carolina, we have red play dirt. That is what the ground is, and it's hot. So red, dusty dirt is what is on the playgrounds. And when we would have recess, I did not 
play rough. I didn't want to get dirty. I like to be neat and clean. I like things nice, just like I like it in class. I want your hair pulled back. I don't want any wispy. I don't want any holes in your tights. I like it all neat and put together. So in the South during recess, you know, most people would play on the swings and they'd play and run and get dirty. I like to stay neat and clean. So I didn't run and play and get dirty. I hung out with the girls for the most part because they didn't play rough like the boys and throw themselves on the ground and all that stuff. So, which is, you know, I just didn't want to get dirty. It's not that I didn't want to play. I just didn't want to get dirty. And in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Robbins was a former dancer and she clicked with two of the other uh, little girls that were in my class that took dance class at um, the Academy of Dance Arts with Karen, Karen Dees, it was Karen Cheryl, Cheryl at the time. But Karen Dees and I would watch them on the playground practice their lyrical dance. And I would watch them every day and they would practice. And I was like, okay, well, I finally got up the courage to go over and ask them. I was like, well, you teach me your dance. And they were like, well, you don't take dance, so you can't learn it. And I was like, well, sure I can. Just teach me. I can, I can learn it. So uh, over the course of the weeks um, during the spring, as they were learning more, they would teach me more. And um, at the end, right as they were getting ready for recital, they said, okay, well, now you have to do it on your own. And I was like, okay. So I do their dance and uh, they are, I'm doing it the way that I feel like they taught it to me. And then they said, well, it's just not the same because you don't take dance. And I was like, well, okay, well, I'll just take dance. <laughs> so that was, it was a real simple solution to me. I'll, I'll take dance. So aging myself just a little bit, I went home that, that summer and I went through the, the yellow pages and I found every dance studio and I called every dance studio and asked if they had classes for boys. North Carolina, mid nineties in the South, boys dance class, not, not gonna happen. Just not gonna happen. So, but I did call everybody and I asked if they had um, boys classes and uh, no one had boys classes. So I didn't let it rest. I just, I just, it was there, it sat on my shoulder. Well, come to find out right before school starts, we would do, uh, the studios would always do a um, open registration. And there was a, a little advertisement in the corner of the newspaper that said, free boys dance class on Tuesdays from seven to eight, Tilly's Dance Academy. So of course I called right away. How do I sign up? What do I do? signed up for dance class on Tuesdays. And it was like, like what was the, it was the thing that was missing that I didn't know was missing. And uh, so I took class uh, with all the boys. There were five other older boys that were in the class and they were the boyfriends of the girls that were in the senior company. So that's how they lured them in. And uh, we took, we did our one dance and we did, oh my goodness, uh, you can't touch this. MC Hammers, you can't touch this. That's what we did. We had the, the, the MC Hammer pants and we typewritered like it was nobody's business. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun. And then we would go to competition and I was like, well, I want to do more. They're doing something that they're doing tap and they're doing, I wanted to do it all. So the next year I took more class. And um, that second year we we were, I was a part of the performance team and then we started going to more competitions and I was like, well, we're not winning though. Like we, we, we do well, but we're not winning. I'm like, I wanna win. And then I noticed that the other dance studio that was in town was always winning. So I called call the other dance studio. I was like, hey, um, 
do you have classes for boys? She's like, no, but come in and take class and, and we'll talk about it. So she invited me to come take class, completely different kind of training. Like it was, a, it was that next level of training. And I love Karen, um, who's like a second mom to me because she never watered anything down because I was not where the girls were. She left, kept that standard the whole time and I was gonna meet her. She was not gonna bring it down, I was gonna meet her. And I love that because she never treated me like I couldn't do it. She just expected me to get it. Mm -hmm. And over the time that I got to know her and I, I was dancing between two studios at the time. And after that first year of dancing between two studios, um, I had auditioned for Karen's a performance company and she asked, um, she said, well, you did make Senior Troop. Um, it is a traveling company, but I need you to decide if you're going to dance with me or if you didn't want to dance at the other studio. And then she just let me decide. And I made the, I made the right decision because I learned so much from Karen. And Denise gave me a really great introduction to dance and allowed me to find my love for it. Karen helped groom me into the professional that I became. And she, like she, we still talk on a regular basis. I go to the studio in South Carolina. Now she sold her studio in North Carolina and then bought a new studio in South Carolina. So I go back once a year to uh, teach for her. And it's one of those, uh, it's one of those, those unique moments that we get as a dance teacher to teach for your teacher or teach as a colleague of your teacher. And I'm never, I'd never feel worthy. Even when I'm on a judging panel with her, I'm like, well, what, what do you think? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm always going to be her student. And she never treats me less than, she, and she encourages me to, she's like, you are a, a professional now. You have done the work, you are an equal. And I was like, but no, no, no. Because you know, we all have that voice. We, we have that teacher voice when you you're command everybody's attention. If I ever heard it, I would. <laughs> I would just pull it right together. But um, that's how I refined uh, my, my love for dance. And then on, I really want to talk about the boy thing. Real okay. Quick. Fantastic. I've always been fascinated by male dancers because traditionally moms don't put their boys in ballet when they're three, like moms of daughters do you know mo i'm not all but a lot of moms when they have a little girl they just can't wait for their first ballet class but i don't think that that's the instinct instinctual you know thing to do when you have a son unless you're a studio owner right Correct. so i but there are i, I think that for a, a man to excel in dance it's a gift. I mean, I don't think that you've got to want that. I mean, in a, in a certain different way than a lot of the girls who are enrolled in dance, you know, they do it. It's fine. They may not pursue it as a career. They may be really good citizens, but they may not have that real thing. I feel like for a boy to be in dance, there's something that drew him there. And I'm always fascinated by that because for many boys, they never have that moment that you had in the playground, that like um, serendipity moment where the universe put it in your face, you know, and how many men out there were meant to go down who have that gift that never had that playground experience or their mom was a studio owner or they got dragged along with their sister and got put in, you know, as the, the token boy and then you know, found his love. How many men out there missed their calling just because there weren't 
I don't know, because they just didn't have that, that moment where the universe came together. And there are, there, there are many men and there, there's uh, one thing that I, I, when I talk to other studio owners, um, when you have that dad dance or that daddy daughter dance, or you have that opportunity for the men to be on stage, they are living their best life. They love knowing all of these people are watching me. Yes. They may not know a step that you taught them, but they are loving that everybody's looking at them. They're applauding for them. They love that idea that everyone is looking at me and I'm doing this thing that they are watching. And I think that that is part of, um, you know, that it's the yin and the yang. There are guys that are gonna love it. Like you, you have students that just love to entertain. They love to be the center of attention. And those are the ones that can move right into it. And you have the ones that are terrified of being in front of people, but they need that to overcome that, they overcome that fear because that fear of being in front of people or having to be so vulnerable when you, put, uh, when you uh, present yourself to other people is a huge um, deciding factor for the, the things that people go into in life. And if parents, we're able to see the benefits. And I think that that's what we're doing in dance right now. We're starting to expose the benefits of dance without, outside of the movement. Like we're teaching life lessons through dance is what we're really doing. We're teaching you how to follow directions, how to keep your hands to yourself, how to uh, stay in line, how to work with other people. We're teaching you all of the things that you're going to need to do when you move through life. If the stop sign or the light is red, you can't go, you must stop. No matter what you feel like, you have to obey the rules, whether you're in a hurry or whether there's people coming from all directions. That sense of self-discipline that comes along with dance is what we are really starting to showcase to the public that dance actually does. Now, you know, we have many shows that are on TV right now that serve a purpose. And whether we like them or not, they have put dance in the mainstream for so many people that would never have never paid attention to dance or, or, or dance competitions or things like that. So I am grateful that we have that exposure. I wish it was better exposure or better representation of what we actually do because it's only a version of what actually goes on. But now that we have these eyes on, on us, we have this opportunity to actually bring in people or open the doors to people that would not normally be open to it just from the exposure on TV. But the other great thing that we have coming out of COVID, we, because we've been, um, our our freedom to, to gather the way that we want to gather has been limited. And once we are on the other side of this and we're allowed to, uh, to gather again without restriction, we're going to have a whole group of adults, older adults, young adults, and kids that want this sense of being a part of a group. And if we as an industry can start to market to this gathering group positive, this is the community kind of thing, we will see a group of, we will be catering to an audience that we wouldn't have had before. Not just our immediate dance family, but we're offering this sense of community, the sense of gathering, this, uh, this connection in a group setting that you can't get from a computer screen or by watching a video in your bedroom. Those are, that, that's, that's beside the point. But if we as studio owners and business owners can start to open the doors to people and offer that as a marketing tool of gathering for a, a greater good or gathering for a better purpose, 
that will really, uh, we, we will really see a, a capitalization on an opportunity that we wouldn't, that we may not see again. So if you think about when uh, like SoulCycle or Zumba came onto the scene, it wasn't so much the, the physical workout or the, um, the, uh, the, the uh, exercise component, it was the camaraderie. It was the, we're all in here and we're sweating it out and we're in it together. And it didn't matter if you got it right or if you didn't, it, was, it mattered that you were a part of that group. And that's where I think that if we can see the opportunity in what we do and start to allow more people in, we're not only gonna see our numbers grow, but we're going to touch more families in a way that we wouldn't have if we weren't in this particular moment in time. That's really interesting. I hope you're right. I really, I hope there is another side, the other side coming out the other side. We will. Well, and, and the, 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 if history proves itself the way that it normally does, anytime there has been a, a great tragedy in any society, the resurgence or the upsurgence in the arts has just skyrocketed on the, on the other side of it. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to that opportunity that you know great music is coming out of Chicago again and it's not that bad music is coming out but Chicago is a jazz hub we are a jazz city I live at the end of the block is the Green Mill that's one of the most historic jazz clubs it was Al Capone's hangout that was out where Al Capone <laughs> hung out and and you know, socialize with people. And it's at the end of my block. I live across the street from the Aragon Theater. So there is a, a vibrant music and entertainment industry that just needed a boost because an artist, and this, these are the words of Alonzo King from uh, Lines Ballet. He said, if, a, if everything on the world in, in the world was completely destroyed, an artist would still be able to create art because that's the only way they know how to communicate. And I think that this is what we've needed. We've just needed some of the things we take for granted to be stripped away from us, maybe not so abruptly the way that it was, but now that we've been without them, you know, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Now we have this passion for being in the studio and, you know, the kids in the classes that try us the most, we look forward to having those kids because we're looking forward to the experience of being together more so than the, you know, you know we've done these steps since, uh, September of last year, why don't we have them? Those things kind of take a little bit of a backseat and now we can regroup and reprioritize what we're actually doing with this group of kids versus we're on the hamster wheel of getting steps right, getting it ready for recital, getting like we're just, we're in such a habit. Now we can actually enjoy what we do for the sake of what we're doing versus, uh, versus just take it for granted. And I have noticed that the kids who are back at the studio, there's just a joy. And you know, every year we have the senioritis where the girls who are seniors are overwhelmed with the amount of schoolwork and pressure and college work and you know, preparing, preparing for college. And there's always kind of like that group of kids that's just like, ugh. And it, it's, in, it's like a cancer in your classroom or in your studio. And this year there's none of that. Everyone yeah. is, it's like dance was taken away from me for a couple months and it hurt and now I'm back and I appreciate it. And, the, and some of them shed off and, and it's like the ones that are here are the ones that are fighting for it, you know? So, you know, hopefully we'll see more and more of that as the world opens back up again. I hope you're right, Richard. That made me think I, I, I really think that we can. And I think that this is where we as dance teachers, because we, I mean, they were taken away from us too. We had to regroup. Like, 
you know, look at it from the time in February when we knew that the costumes that were coming um, from overseas were not going to make it from the time that we knew, okay, well, now we have restrictions. We're not going to have recital or our traditional recital. We had to regroup and reprioritize what we spent our money on, what we spent our time doing and what kind of result we were trying to get out of it. And if we can take, uh, keep ourselves from getting back on that hamster wheel and look at it globally, like look at our industry as a whole and what we're trying to do, it will help us steer, not only steer it in a way that we're happier, but it steer it in a way that we bring joy or we have the joy for what we're doing versus dreading the, oh, I have to deal with such and such as parent or I have to deal with this and I have to deal with that. And I think that once, when we're on the hamster wheel, those are the things that come to the forefront because then we deal so much with the problems that we forget the joy and the reason why we started the studio, why we decided to go into this career where our financial compensation is never gonna amount to the amount of work and time and energy that we put into it. And that love and joy and passion that we have needed to be, we needed to be reminded of it because now that we've been reminded of it, if we can keep it in the front and allow that to steer all the decisions that we're making, then we'll have joy with all the decisions that we make versus falling into the habit because this is what we've always done. And I think that if we just take this opportunity to experience that joy that we had, like when you decided to become a business owner and, and or you decided to start teaching kids, which is a talent, like not everybody can do it and not everybody's good at it. Not everyone should do it. <laughs> they, they, and there are some that hopefully throughout this, they've decided that's not what they should be doing. But when you have that, that, it's kind of like what, uh, what Robin was saying about men that dance. They have this thing that, that, that draws them to it. When we have good teachers, good teachers that love kids and that love families and that love that we change their lives for the better by what we're doing, we are, those are the people that need to be in place. Let's let the other ones fall by the wayside. And, you know, I, and I'm not wishing anything bad to happen to anyone, but I do want the good teachers and the people that love what they're doing to be at the forefront of what we're doing on the other side of this because we work way too hard. We work way too hard for way too little praise or reward for what we do. And if we can't enjoy it and we can't have that joy, then we have to reevaluate why we're doing it. And if we can, again, if we can keep it at the forefront, we're gonna have more joy beyond this than we had prior to it. Yeah. My, my son, who's a real nature buff, said when this all happened, he said, Mom, nature has a way of clearing things out so that new things can come to life. Amen. And, Amen. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, yeah. let's get rid, flush out the people who didn't really want to be here, whether it be as customers or in the industry. And not because we don't, you know, but just maybe there's something better for you. And right. let's let's be left with the you know, the, the promise of, of new rebirth and, and a brighter tomorrow and, and, a, and a stronger industry. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we've needed. We've needed the, the people that are not in the industry for the sake of making the industry an integral part of society to not be there. Like we don't need the people in this industry that see a money-making opportunity and they capitalize on it for the sake of capitalizing versus moving the industry into a position where, anyone in the industry has a rightful place in the workforce. And that's ultimately what my, you know, once I can say that I was, I contributed to 
dance in the United States of America having a rightful place in a workforce where someone that is a dancer or someone that's a choreographer or someone that's a, a director can live and make a living off of the job that they do, then I can, I can, take, I can take my final breath. And I was like, okay, I matter. I, I helped steer the industry in that place because we should. Like we should, there's how many other industries do you have someone that is an attorney that's working at Starbucks and then waiting tables or bartending at night just so that they can make ends meet to do that thing that they love. And it's, um, it's unfortunate, but what we're seeing in Chicago is we have to have some um, participation from our theaters because our theater costs, like you guys know how much a theater costs to rent out for a performance week and that is a huge expense that we need we, we need we need some give and take and we're going to see some of that come out of broadway we're really going to see some of that shift in the industry because if they have a price point that they won't budge from then they're going to have an empty house so they're going to have to come down and we're going to have to have the unions come to an agreement about a, a workable price point that allows the industry to start to build momentum so that we can eventually get back to a better place. Otherwise, they're gonna have unemployed dancers and they're gonna have empty houses and that's not gonna do anybody any good. You know what, that's interesting that you brought that up. I was having a conversation <clears throat> with a former student of mine who, who went to performing arts school and went to college for musical theater and was wor working in the industry to be on Broadway. And he was concerned that there was, you know, a lot of corruption or old, you know, just a lot of policies and, and things that were going on in Broadway that maybe needed to be shaken up. And here we go. And I've also got students who have just gone to college and want to be Broadway performers. And you want, you worry what's going to be there for them when they get out of college in four years. Well, maybe what's going to be there is a fresh, clean slate. Because uh -huh. maybe a lot of the seasoned performers who maybe are, I don't know. I, and I know nothing about any kind of corruption. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just repeating what someone said. I know nothing about it firsthand. And maybe not corruption is the word, but just, you know, favors and people who are getting the same roles over and over again, maybe that being flushed out will, will create just a wonderful, fresh landscape for our young people who are in college now to have, a, have more of an opportunity as opposed to being shut out because they don't have their foot in the door yet. Right. So it's hard to, um, to think that, that there's a degree of politics that, that does not exist in an industry, especially say Broadway, that brings in however many billions of dollars to New York City. People come from all over the world to come to that city for those shows. And to think that there's not some system that exists behind the scenes, is, it, would be, right. would be, um, right. it would be silly for us not to think that that does not exist. Right. But what if our regional theaters, our regional theaters are finally given the opportunity and the funding and the support that they need to offer that opportunity on a broader scale without having to be in New York. Because the exodus of people that are coming out of New York because of the expense, the same thing that's happening in California, people can't afford to live in San Francisco right now because of the, the, the expense. And if they're working from home, and they're making the same amount of money from working from home, why are they looking at their budget thinking, I could save so much more money doing this job in Omaha, Nebraska, and I still get paid the same and my dollar goes further. Same thing with New York. The, the hustle and the bustle of the city, I think that that will always be there. I think it, it, there, there is that charm of being in that buzz that will always exist. But 
it may also give our regional theaters and our regional dance companies the opportunity to harness the talent that is close to them or that comes right out of college and groom them into a dancer that can then go on to other things that they have more success because there's more opportunity available for them because of what they did at home or, or in the theater that's closest to them. And that would be the system that we would want to nurture. Come out of college, in that hometown of your college, allow those dancers to have the experience working with dance companies or theater companies, get, get some skin in the game, learn how the system works, learn how to be a good professional and then go play with the big dogs. That's like, you know, all of a sudden I decided I wanted to put on the costume and I'm going right to Showstoppers Elite. No, you put on the costume and you entered an elite. You're not ready to be elite, but you registered as elite. And I think that that's part of the process that we understand because we've been in it. But I think that the people that have not been in the game, this is part of the teaching and the learning that we have to do. We have to teach them how to like toughen up, like being told no, get used to it. Get used to it because there's 300 of you auditioning for one part. And that's part of the process and part of the learning of not so much rejection because rejection seems so negative. It means, okay, this wasn't the right part for you. Mm -hmm. That's it. Keep going. Keep going. So, yeah. You know, the other thing I'm really hopeful for as the world changes right now is that if more artists are moving out of the big cities, maybe because they want grass and acreage and you know they, they can do their jobs from a more green location how many new educators dance educators or artists will we in small town dance studios have access to oh my goodness that and is beautiful That's how beautiful. great will that be for the next generation of kids coming up you right. know Maybe if these Broadway performers are, you know, saying, you know what, it's time for my next chapter, I'm going to move, you know, start my own business or something, but I still want to keep my foot in the door. Maybe I'll teach at the local dance studio next to my little farmette. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for out here in the country. <laughs> well, and that is, if you think about the struggle that uh, studio owners have that are not close to a big city like Chicago or that, that are in downstate Illinois and coming to Chicago's a five hour drive. And you have universities that are in that area that, you know, promising choreographers just need the opportunity to refine what they're doing. Same thing with dancers. They just need the opportunity to be a dancer and work out the kinks and let them evolve because, you know, there are, there are smaller studios or studios that are not close to Chicago that, kill it at competition. They produce dancers that go on to do great things in the commercial world or in the concert world. And they come from this town that no one's ever heard of because they've had the opportunity to develop that. And if we take this natural approach to where we are in life and we start to give back right where we are, everything will find you. It will, it will find you. It will absolutely find you. And that is, it, it, that's very encouraging and that's very uh, reassuring because it's kind of like uh, when you tell kids, it doesn't matter what your spot is on stage, your mom's gonna see you, or it doesn't matter what, you, what formation or place you are in the formation, if, if you're good, everybody's gonna notice. And it's true. And if you can make it big in Salem, Illinois, then you can also probably make it big in Chicago. And if you can make it big in Chicago, you can probably make it big in LA or in New York City, but 
those are not the only places. And that's what I really hope is that the regional theaters and regional companies take this opportunity to welcome and nurture and take more of a responsibility instead of conceding to, oh, we're not New York or we're not the big city. No, you still have quality, you still have value. You can still add to that journey, do it. And I really hope, I really think that, that we just need permission to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautiful. We're trying to see the positive changes that are happening in our industry because of what's going on in the world right now. Well, that's a great place for us to take a quick break and we will be right back with Mr. Richard Smith. Are you looking for a new way to streamline your business and simplify your life? We use Kajabi in our dance studios to help us stay organized, streamlined, and to save us money. Kajabi is an all-in-one platform with everything right at your fingertips. There's no need for multiple programs. Your email provider, web hosting services, automation, landing page, sales cart, and so much more are all in one place. With everything in one program, you can save hundreds or even thousands of dollars a year. Get rid of all those programs and platforms that collectively cost you way more than what you would pay for a year in Kajabi. You can start your membership site or create new products to have a passive stream of income in your business. Go to dancestudioownerconnect.com slash kajabi to learn more and to start your free trial. Again, it's dancestudioownerconnect.com slash k-a-j-a-b-i to start your free trial today. All right, we are back with Mr. Richard Smith. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so let's talk about your dance festival. Tell us how this came to fruition and what, what you do with it. So uh, 360 Dance Festival, I have, I've been a part of 360 since it was uh, created in 2016 was the, was the very first uh, event here in Chicago. Um, at the time it was called One Family and it was done in collaboration with a video company that wanted to share insight to, with dance on how dance nurtures the whole person, how it nurtures not just the dancer, it nurtures the family, it nurtures the community. And one family, the one family event was coming together to support dance as a family because it's dance, the dance family, but your blurt, your blood family, your community family, it was one big family that, uh, that was coming together. And at the time, Misty Lown owned it. Um, Misty Lown is the uh, owner of More Than Just Great Dancing. And she and I have been friends since, oh my God, I've known her for over 16 years now. And I met her because one of her students was too young to, to be in, in the classes at uh, Chicago Dance Connection. And they called uh, Giordano's and they asked if anybody was willing to teach a nine-year-old private lessons while the other kids were in class. And I was like, of course, we're dancers. It was like private lessons, that dollar sign goes up way higher than an hourly rate. So I was like, yes, of course I'll teach her. And Misty just happened to be there and she took class with me. And from her taking class with me, she loved how I taught. And then she would bring me to the studio. And as she has, uh, as the branches of more than just great dancing has started to evolve, 360 evolved out of creating an opportunity for students to come together and have this um, this freedom and no uh, lack of pressure, lack of stress, this wholesome event without the pressure of 
being in the front or being the best one in the class. It was, it was just um, a need to nurture more than just the best dancers all the time. And um, she, I was the first teacher she hired. Um, she calls me her, her technical drill sergeant. Like I'm, I'm a technician and I'm a technician because I was never a good technician and I wanted to learn to be a good technician. And um, which a great story from there, I started teaching at Giordano's, the Giordano grandchildren. So I was teaching at Gus Giordano's studio, teaching his grandkids his technique. And I was like, oh, well, wait, I was like, wait a minute. I am not teaching this wrong. I don't ever want anyone to come back and say, well, he taught me wrong. So I started to dive into the syllabus, dive into the book, ask questions. And I was like, I'm teaching this next generation of Giordano's the purest form of Giordano technique possible. And I started taking my teaching more seriously because I knew I was handing it down to his name. So um, that, that's where my passion for understanding mechanics and movement philosophy came from. So that came, comes out in my teaching. Misty was, uh, was drawn to that because that's just how I, I present information in the dance classroom. So she hired me on um, to teach at the One Family event. Um, the second year we had, uh, it was called 360 because the, um, the film company was not a part of it uh, the, the second time. We had two locations, um, one in uh, Palm Springs and then one in Minnesota. And after Minnesota, or actually when we were in Palm Springs, we were sitting around uh, the, the conference table and all of the teachers are talking and it's conversation like this, where we can talk about real stuff without feeling like, uh, you know how it feels when you're a competition and you come in with your, your, like your guard on already because this group is here and that group is there and this teacher's here and then that one said this one to that one and there's all this tension that goes on, all this drama. It wasn't like that at all. It was just this freedom to talk about things that we either agreed on or disagreed on, but respectfully, we respectfully disagreed about many things. And it was so great to have that and be a part of that group. So we're sitting at the table and uh, they'd gone around and asked what you do. And I said, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a jack of many trades. I can, I do a lot of, a lot of things. And Misty kind of chimes in and she says, when Mr. Richard really focuses in on what he's going, what he wants to do, he will be unstoppable. And I just kind of let it go. I was like, okay. And then, you know, we had the event, huge success. And then after the event's over, she said, um, I'm coming in to visit Isabella. Let's have lunch. We come in, we have lunch. We talk about technique. We talk about YPAD. We talk about all the things that are going on in her life. And then she says, well, I, it's time for me to start to focus my energy. And I need to, uh, to hand off some things. And 360 is one of those things that I want to hand off. And I said, great. If that's what you want to do, go for it. It'll be great. I think that whoever gets it will be, will be fantastic. You've really created a great community. And it was what it was. Completely missed it. Completely missed it. <laughs> it went right over my head. I was like, you know what? Go for it. It's great. Didn't think anything about it. This, uh, then a month later, she comes into, into town again. She's like, let's have lunch. Okay, we have lunch again, we get caught up. And I don't, again, don't think anything of it because that's what we do. We just get together, we talk about life and the industry and where we want to go and things like that. And this time she said, well, I think that 360 would be a great opportunity for you. And I was like, really? And she just 
kind of presents this case. And I was like, oh, well, I never considered that. And I, again, didn't think any more about it. I was like, okay, like I'm the person that is so hard to fool, but so easy to fool at the exact same time. Like I, my parents were the best during Christmas because they knew that they could hide my gift right there. I would never see it, never see it, ne never think about seeing it. Christmas comes and they were like, well, you want your gift? And I was like, well, yeah, where is it? It's right there. I'm like, it's been there this whole time. It's been there the whole time, but I'm, I, I appreciate that cluelessness. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So um, now the third time that she comes in, she brings the executive summary and she shows me the numbers and she said, this is how it can work. And I was like, oh, well, I never considered me owning 360. I know what it is. And the way that she presented it, I was like, okay. And, you know, we talk about the numbers and um, she's like, well, here's a way to find out. She's like, just ask some people to back you. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, who do, I don't know who, I don't know people with money like this. I, I just don't know people with large sums of money at their, their leisure. So um, lo and behold, I asked two people and those two people backed me. <laughs> They, I just, I asked only two people. They, they were, they believe in me. They believe in what I can do. They believe in what 360 stands for, you know, nurturing the whole dancer and creating an opportunity for families and studios to come together without the stress and the drama that, that, that conventional um, gatherings have. And there was, I didn't, I didn't have to beg. I didn't even have to talk them into it. They, I just asked and they, they were like, okay, we'll, we'll support you. And there we go. And then um, I, on December, it was December 16th, 2018, um, I drove up to Wisconsin and it was, you know, here you go, sign, there you go. And then I, I just fell apart. I just bawled, just bawled, 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 bawled because, you know, you don't realize how important things are to you until they evoke some kind of emotion. Like either you cry, you get mad, you get upset. When it evokes some kind of an emotion in you, you know it hits, it hits home. And um, I just didn't realize what a impact that 360 and Misty and me taking on this, this business was going to be. And it's been a journey. It's everything that any entrepreneur has said about their journey, I'm going through it. And they're exactly right. <laughs> So you're kind of new to it and then COVID hits. So what you had it in 2019, did you have the event in 2020? No, we had to, we had expanded to five locations in 2020 because we have pockets of, um, pockets of studios that were supporting what we were doing. And our first event was going to be in Arizona in September. And at the time, Arizona was a hot spot coming out of the summer. And it was one of those things that, okay, I have to, and this is where the business side and the, the human side had to take a, a back seat because I know what the budget says. I know what the earning potential was. I also know what the families were going through and the idea of me trying to encourage or nudge or push families into gathering for a non-essential event, spend money on an event that they don't know if they're going to be able to compensate or to, to recoup from and putting the, the, the safety of the, all those families at risk. I had to make 
I had to make a human decision, not a business decision. And I made that decision to cancel the event because I could, I, I could not sleep knowing that I had forced people to be in a position that they didn't have to be in for the sake of me making money. And that was, that was- a typical year, you would do multiple events in different locations? Yes. And so yeah. do, are you hoping to do that again in 2021 or are you thinking 2022? Well, 2021, we are definitely, um, we will start up in June. No, actually we're starting uh, September. So we have our Arizona event in um, September of 2021. So all the contracts that I have um, uh, out right now, the venues have been kind enough to allow me to, uh, to push them forward a year without a penalty. And this is one of the things that I, that I feel like um, didn't get discussed enough when COVID happened and the competitions and the conventions were, you know, so many people were going after them for the refunds. And I understand it, I absolutely understand it, but the back inside of what we do was not considered at all. I have to put my name on the line for an expense that I am hoping to recoup by the attendance that I have. Now with that expense, if I don't, make up those numbers, I'm still held accountable for that expense. That expense exists whether I have people there or not. And that's where, you know, I would like to have the company in a position where I can always be able to refund because I've made enough profit over the years to support being able to do that. I'm only three years into it. I don't have that little pocket or that nest egg to be able to do it right now. So the expenses that I incur are, are, are front end expenses for back end profit. And I, that's where I think a lot of, um, a, a lot of uh, misunderstanding and uh, some, some um, ill feelings came in in our industry towards competitions and conventions, in part because we don't understand, but in part because we're so used to, um, you know, oh, if it's Amazon, you don't like it or it didn't work out, you send it back, you get a replacement. And that works as long as you have that capacity. When we're dealing with you know, industries that are, that are working in a deficit or working on a contract and a goodwill, that good, when that goodwill gets disturbed, we still have to make good on a contract or we get, we get sued, we have to go to court. So I think that you know, we needed a little bit, of, little bit more of understanding um, and a little bit of grace so that we can allow our companies to get into a position that will allow me to hopefully one day make the profit so that if I do have to refund everything, it doesn't set the company back and it allows the, the studios to always be able to, to have that guarantee. Yeah. And it's a shame that so many studio owners seem to be on a rampage to smear certain competitions. Like I've seen in, in the big group, you know, let's make a list of all the competitions that didn't give refunds so that we can never go to them again and let's destroy them. And I'm like, you guys are business owners. <laughs> like but you, don't you understand the whole, the, the whole middleman concept? Because we are the middleman between right. our landlords and our customers. And I think that, you know, you, you're right. There, there needs to be a little bit more understanding and creative solution get, um, uh, finding or, or creative strategy to find a solution. And what you said, I, I think I understood is that you're kind of just pushing it to the next year, which is glorious because everyone can, can get, get it next year. 
Right, right. You know, and, and just be a little more compassionate. I mean, with everyone and nobody has a playbook on how to deal with 2020. Oh, and no. We're, yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're ready for that playbook to have a nice little seal in a safe in the back of a closet that we never have to go in anymore and then move on to, to other things. But, you know, a lot of the, what this has taught us and what has taught me as a business person that my number one priority as I am generating revenue and making profit is to make sure that the business can sustain itself for one full year without any additional revenue coming in. So that means, you know, that might be a five-year plan for me. And whether I it's just 360 or I purchase a studio, same thing. I need to be able to have enough in savings for the company to run a full year without any of the services or any of the things that I offer suffering. And that's my goal. Now, that's me as that's me personally, or me as uh, the, the leader of 360. I can't say that every other business out there has that same model, but I can only speak for where I want, for where the vision is for what I want to be able to offer to my patrons. And I want patrons that understand that, that understand that that's what I'm working towards. I'm not making profits so that I can, you know, buy the next buy a Tesla and cruise around in the streets in my Tesla. That's not what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get enough revenue built up so that I have the opportunity that if if a studio owner came to me and said, I only have 10 kids that can go, six of my families have, are lost their job and they don't know what's happening next. And this is the thing that helps them get through. I want to be able to say, bring them. I want to be able to supply that thing that only we can do, that, that joy that comes into their life. When parents see their children have that moment of joy, it brings them joy too. And if that's what I can provide, I'm not, I don't, I'm not worried about the money at that time. I'm worried about you and your family having an experience that one day you will either remember it and return it, or you'll be able to remember it and pay it forward. And there's the difference. And that, that's the biggest difference between what we do at 360 and what my vision is for where I want to see the company go versus I want to see profit. I want to look at the numbers. I, the numbers are the numbers, but if the numbers are not going in the right places, then it does not matter. It, it does, just does not matter. And I, I can't be money hungry and I can't always look at the budget because what 360, you know, full circle, we didn't go into this because we're going to make the high dollar. We would have been an engineer or been an attorney or been a doctor. We're in it for a, a bigger and better purpose. And if we're going to make it come 360, we're going to make it come all the way back to the things that are important and why we do it. It has to start from the top. It has to start from me and move to everyone else. And if I'm not an example of that, then I'm essentially just a liar. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a liar. <laughs> yeah. And I think that having a uh, year long or a, a, an emergency fund to cover situations like this are really smart in everyone's business and in your household. Yes. So yes. I think that as Americans, sometimes we have been, um, we've lost sight of that. A lot of Americans have, and it's like, you know, living oh, I've got $1,000 in the bank. What can I spend $1,000 on? <laughs> right. And that, that, and that is a testament to great marketing. It really is. Mm -hmm. they, you know, great marketing, they will get you to tap into your savings for this thing that you just have to have, but you have four other of those things in the closet already. <laughs> and that's what marketing does. But if we in our industry can use that kind of information, that kind of data the right way, 
we will be unstoppable with what we do. That thing that we offer, and that's what I would really like to see evolve out of this is more market research, more market research for what we do. What is a dance studio or a, studio, a business in the arts in um, in middle of Michigan? What is that information? Like how many students do they have? What is their, their demographic? What, what is the industry that supports the families that are allowed to, to do it? or that are allowed to come to those studios because that's the kind of information that allows us to make good decisions. Like, think about it. When we wanted to open a studio, you want to start a business, location is key. But if you have the wrong location and the right idea, then that's a product market fit that does not, it's just not gonna work. But if you have the right product and the right market, because we have the data, we will make better decisions moving forward. Like we will just make better decisions. And those are the kinds of things that I want us to start thinking bigger. Think, think bigger, not for the sake of being bigger, but bigger because we make better decisions. Okay? Instead of open studio in the, um, in the industrial park that is got rent that is you know half the cost of where it would be outside the mall with a martial arts and a juice bar, yeah, the rent might be a little bit higher, but you're going to get more traffic and there's going to be more people that are going to come there because of the nature of where it is versus saving on rent. But then you have to force people to come that way. So, you know, having that data and having information available to us, we're smarter than we're smarter than we allow ourselves to be. I, I really think that we are moving in a direction that we are looking for the correct information for us to make better decisions. And that's one of the things that I love the most about these groups of strong women that I love. Like I just love, like the first time I was at more than just a studio owner university and I see all these women together and I'm like, and they're laughing and talking and having a great time. I was like, what is this? I have never seen a grouping of women together in the same industry without the, the claws coming out, like this com the competitive, um, I have to prove myself and I, there was just no need for it. And when you take that away and you surround yourself with other, other people that want to see you succeed, I don't feel threatened that you're a success, but your success is going to inspire me because if you can have the success, I can have it too. And surrounding ourselves with those kind of people are the things that feed us, just like our kids. Like I'm a better teacher because my kids become better. And when they become better, I become a better teacher because I have to keep, they're, they're giving me, I'm giving them, and this, this give and take and give and take. And I think if, again, back to my original point, if we can get back to that, and that's why we do what we do, we're gonna have more joy. And when we have more joy, we're gonna create this atmosphere that people want to be a part of. They might not be able to name it, but they wanna be a part of that thing, a part of that joy, a part of that love, a part of that giving that we create. So I can go on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> a joy, and I would love to sit and have lunch with you sometime when uh, the world is back to normal. I'm glad yeah. we, I was. I was just thinking, like, man, I wish 360 Dance Festival would come to little old Richmond, Virginia. I'm very interested in it for my students. It sounds like exactly the kind of event that we are looking for, yes. you know, in general, because we don't do competition. Um, you know, of course, we're all about the family and I'm very intrigued by your program. So I'm going to keep an eye on your website to find out um, when and if we can we can get our students to to participate in that. Great. Well, the thing, uh, you know, after the um, I had to cancel the Chicago event because of not because the 
the, of the restrictions, the parents just did not feel comfortable yet. They just not, did. Your parents feel comfortable coming to your studio with your, they know what to expect with you. They don't know what another studio is doing. They don't know what, you know, what, what the, the, the venue is having and the parents just did not feel comfortable. And I was like, I, I can't be upset about it. So I just sharp pivot again. There's nothing like a good sharp half count pivot turn. <laughs> It'll get you going. <laughs> So what we've, uh, what we've done and we've offered to some of the attendees is an in-studio workshop. So instead of the, you guys coming to us, I'll come to you or I'll bring Sarah with me, I'll bring Marcus with me and we'll come to the studio. And what that does is that allows the students to, to, to get a feel for what we do. And it's, a, it's an easier selling point for the parents. When they see it click and when you see I'm the best tool that teachers can bring in because they're like, this is what we're working on. This is where I wanted to go. This is what we're trying to do. I can come into the studio, say the exact same thing you've been saying. And they're like, well, Mr. Richard said, and it was like, yeah, ah. <laughs> exactly. But that's also why I encourage kids go other places and take class, go to someone else, take class and then come back because you're going to be better for me. Cause you hear me like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. someone else that you've never met says it, it clicks. And I'm like, it just matters that it clicked as, as long as it clicked. So um, the in-studio workshops have gone over well for the, the, the people that were participating. And, um, you know, I can, I can also, you know, uh, create a little uh, a program. We actually have had that um, uh, available uh, schedule and what that would entail to bring me into the studio versus you guys coming to me. And it, it's just easier to navigate and especially yeah. right now. And um, those are it, that relationship with the kids and that um, uh, there were a group of nine-year-olds that had attended Dupree. Um, do you, you guys know Dupree? Uh, been around for a while. Yes. Um, and the group of nine-year-olds that uh, had attended the first time, I'd asked them well, what, what they liked the most. And it wasn't the, the awards, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the being around everybody. They said, I like that the teacher recognized the student and told them how much better they got from the last time they saw them. And I was like, that's what we do. That's what we do at 360. Like I, we keep the numbers small in the classroom because I will tell the teachers, if I walk in, I hope that I don't see you on that platform. I wanna see you on the floor with the kids, get in their face, get around them, give them the corrections, get, a, get share your presence with them because that for most kids, they just know that they need to know that they matter. And that's what we want kids coming away from 360 better for you. Like we want them to come to 360, have an experience and now they're, they're inspired and they're invigorated and they're like, well, they got so pumped up at 360 that when they get back to the studio, they're like, okay, well, let's take it. Like, remember when they taught this, remember when they were going over this, you would, you learned how to get your irrelevant relevant higher. Did you guys, did you pull out your lacrosse ball? Did you massage your feet? Did you do the things that you learned that you know are going to work? And now you just hold them accountable and you have reinforcement because they've already experienced it. And now they're, they're taking ownership of their success. And there's not opportunities for that. There's not, in a conventional setting, there's very little opportunity for you as the teacher to now hold the students accountable for what they learn because there's 500 kids in a room and good luck, good luck. Just, I hope you get it. Maybe they'll rotate and you might get to go to the front. Good luck. And that's just, that's a waste of money. And that's a waste of time. And that's a waste of energy. Because if you guys are making the choice 
the financial investment to participate in an event, I have the obligation to you to make sure that I give you every possible way for your students and your families to be better because they were there. That's my, that's my responsibility as the business owner and the leader of 360 is to make sure that I deliver that product. Not give you a great class or a combination that you might do in the hall that night. That is, there's a place for it. There's a place for it. But if I can break down the mechanics of how you get into and out of a turn or how you get into and out of a jump or what the mechanics are that allow you to get your bottom leg off the floor or your back leg off the floor in the jump, that's the information that you can reuse over and over and over. Like the value of that is far outweighs the cool combination that you can learn off TikTok or you can learn off of a video. I want, I want that repeatable information that allows you to get a better result every, every time. And that's what, that's only, those are the teachers that I bring in. I don't need teachers that are on a TV show for the sake of the, like, that's like basic marketing. That's like the, the most basic level of marketing. Oh, they're coming because of that person. And it works, it works. But I think teachers like you guys that are looking for something more, you're looking for a better investment of your time and energy, that, that's where 365, we have a place. We have a place for those studio owners. Now, will it ever be in some of the bigger conventions? Maybe, maybe not. That's not the goal. The goal is to make sure that we are constantly giving back a quality product that can be reused and your kids and your families are better because they had the experience and they want to come back. And that's, that's my goal is to create that kind of environment. I love that. I get so frustrated taking my students to conventions where class is not even a warm up. It's just a combination for an hour. Yeah. And it's, yes, it's important for, for dancers to be exposed to different styles of choreography than what they're used to at their home studio. But I would so much rather bring my kids to an experience where they're learning mechanics, they're learning technique, they're learning skills and concepts and lessons that they can take back to their studio, that they can take forward in their dancing lives, that, that will actually help them versus, you know, eight counts of eight that look really cool on Instagram, but doesn't have any real inherent value. Right. And there's, that's where, you know, to my point earlier about us being smarter about what we are spending our time doing, that worked for a time. That worked for a time. When we used to go to convention, it was the thing to do because we learned something new. We learned something better. We learned that thing that everybody else was doing. It get, kind of gave us a little bit of an advantage because we were learning a, a new trick or a new jump or a new way to do something. And that was the model that was created. I don't think that that model evolved with the times. Mm -hmm. They're still using that same model. Let's teach them the combination by such and such that's on so you think next valid for a place but right right now when funds are not as as um abundant as they would normally be and we have a limited number of funds a limited number of places that we can go we want to invest like invest it in something that we're going to get a return on versus giving an experience that will be just that experience and again there's a place for it there's a place for it i just don't think that that place is going to be very is going to be so relevant right now I like right now because right. other than bragging about it on on Instagram or saying that you took such and such as class like okay and <laughs> you still didn't point your foot and you still hopped in your turn and you didn't get your back leg up when you jumped so I'm glad that you had that but I still need you to get off the floor like <laughs> yes. yes oh my god thank you 
<laughs> so Richard, where can people find you if they want to follow you on any sort of platform? So um, the uh, information about 360 is on the website as uh, 360dancefestival.com. Um, you can also find it us on um, uh, social media platforms. Uh, my Mr. Richard Approved uh, page is where I post a lot of my um, comments and critiques and my, um, my, like my information that I am sharing with other people that will, you know, give you a little thought for the day for your teaching or gives you just that reinforcement that, you know, the, the fundamentals are valuable and the fundamentals can take a step. Um, um, Mr. Richard Approved is, is the place to go. Um, Mr. Richard Approved on, um, on YouTube. I have, uh, I'm on basically all the, the, um, the uh, social media platforms. And um, then of course there's my podcast, uh, Real Talk with Mr. Richard, where we get to do things like this. And we talk with, uh, with uh, the, the people in the industry that have something to say. And I love that. <laughs> I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things out there of moving the mouths and that, that's a lot of, 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 of talk time. But the people that uh, I have had on, um, on the podcast have just, uh, been like a floodgate of information. And that's what I love about this time because it's opened an opportunity for things like this. Like we were kind of shoved into it. Actually, we kind of kicked right into it with no warning. We were shoved into this, this way of communicating, but now it's, it's broadened our scope. Um, look at how much more reach we have now. And it's not that this is new, it's new to dance. It's new to our industry. It's always been there. Or rephrase, it's been more available for other industries that like group chatting, group meeting and conference calling has been available. I think that because again, we were in our hamster wheel, we weren't seeing the opportunity that this could have, like this opportunity for us to not only share information, but say, I, there's a, a couple studios in California. I do Zoom classes with them once a, once a month. They, 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 and they love it. The kids love it. And the thing that I love the most about being able to do it is I try to be as as real virtually as I am in person. So the, the, if you re-look at the videos, you're going to see my eyeballs up close because I'm like, get your leg up, get your leg up, hold your stomach in like you back there, pink leotard, pull it up, pull it up, get higher, higher. So it's as real as I can make it. Like I see everybody, you might be an inch tall on the screen, but I can see, I have those teacher eyes. I can see all of it. And you're not going to drop your heel because I turn, I don't turn my back. I only get to look at you straight forward. So I try to make my class virtually as, as um, seamless as uh, the in-person, but the in-person, you know, this, between the stick and my voice, it just pulls something up in everybody and in a good way in, in such a good way. But, um, you know, if, if uh, anyone reaches out to you, you guys have my email address, you have my contact information and feel free to reach out to me anytime. Um, I love the community of teachers that just send me the random question. Hey, I've got, a, I've got three, three girls that had, need darker tights. What should I do? Okay, well, here's, here's how we handle it. And I think that this platform offering resources to teachers and offering resources to other people is exactly what we need to know that we're not alone, to know that we're not out in left field by ourselves. So I can't congratulate you guys enough for creating it, for sharing it, and for having me to be a part of it today. Thank you so much. Aww, well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank yeah, you. I really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you. 
you got it anytime ladies just pick up just let me know and um, I'm glad I, I never run out of words <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel like this could turn into like a multi-part series of episodes so maybe we'll just oh, have yeah. that one <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can't wait, wait to dive into the two generations of people that are teaching contemporary but never took a modern class Ooh, that's a good topic. I was like, you don't even know who Martha Graham was and you were, what does this roll on the floor feel like a leaf thing that you're talking about? No, that, get, get up, stand up straight and bend your knees. Like, like, yes, oh my gosh. It's, um, yes. it's time for us to start, not just going in to recognize it, but offer some solutions. And that's the, it's one thing to complain about it, but I, I like to uh, provide the solutions too. This is how we fix it. This is how we move forward. This is what we need to, to do to see different results in our kids. So um, anytime, just feel free. I, I, will, I will make time to, to share. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, Richard, thanks again. And everybody, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thank Have a good one, ladies.